Welcome to Make It Count, Living a Legacy Life, where we invest in what matters, God and people. I'm Sue Donaldson, speaker, author, and creator of WelcomeHeart.com, where you can learn to know and show the heart of God. And that's what counts. Thank you for joining me. Good morning. Today, I get to introduce you to my new friend, Marcus Watson. We met in CPA, which is not has nothing to do with money or accounting. It's Christian Podcast Association. You know, if you know me, I would not be in accounting. Uh, anyway, and I always like Marcus. He is a pod, fellow podcaster, as I intimated, but also just a great um, spiritual leader, a great man of God. And I like it. I always like it when he makes comments. And so I asked if he would um, bless our listeners today on uh, talking about legacy. But first, Marcus, if you could just tell us a little bit about your background, your family, and your ministry, and then we'll get into the legacy questions. Yeah. So background going way back, like childhood and all that? Yeah. Or, uh, like I'd like <laughs> okay. to know, you were going to be an actor. You can talk to me. Oh, that. yeah, sure. Okay. Because <laughs> we're both Californians. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, so uh, so yeah, so I grew up, uh, in a Christian family my dad is a pastor and, oh. um, and I'll come to that. So uh, even though I'm a, a pastor now, I never in a million years thought I would be a pastor because oh. not because I didn't, I love my dad, but that was his thing, right? right. That was his thing. Right. I couldn't see myself doing that. What I wanted to do was, um, be, uh, well, when I was little, I wanted to be a movie star oh. <laughs> and, uh, and then I got a little older in high school. I was like, no, I want to be a movie director. Um, oh. yeah. And they so make, do they make more money. No, I think I just wanted more control. Uh. <laughs> uh, and I like the idea of being behind, I don't know, being behind the camera and telling the whole story. Um, oh. So uh, anyway, so that was my my dream growing up. Um, I didn't live anywhere near where that could happen. I was born in Los Angeles, but we, we kept moving away from Los Angeles. We moved to Germany for a few years when I was very young. My mom's German, so we just spent a few years there moved back to LA. Then we moved to Western Pennsylvania near Pittsburgh. And um, then I lived there from sixth grade through college. Uh, and then after that came back to LA and, um, uh, and then, and then I did actually work in Hollywood for, for about two years, um, just kind of doing uh, well as a, working as a production assistant, which is mm. the bottom of the totem pole, right? Okay. That's the, uh, please go bring us coffee or make copies <laughs> of this or, uh, <laughs> clean that part of the stage up or whatever. But, um, but it was fun. Uh, I mm. got to work on some, you know, TV specials. Uh, that was kind of the niche of the, the production company that was hiring me. And, but, but I also got to work on some music videos. I worked on a Muppets music video, which was super fun got to talk to the guy very briefly in the lunch line, uh, the guy who does Gonzo the Great, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I said to him, wow, okay. it was amazing watching them do this, right? It was a music video. So most of us, they're just sort of lip syncing to the music. Yeah. But then they did this little promo thing in between where uh, Frank Oz, who does Miss Piggy, was there. And oh, then wow. Dave Goltz, who does Gonzo. And they were they had Miss Piggy and Gonzo talking to each other, like, and they're kind of sitting on the floor with their hands up, you know, and, and the whole crew is standing around just watching in awe, right? Because it's just so fascinating. And, and what was fun was uh, in between takes, you know, the puppeteers, Frank Oz and Dave Goltz didn't talk to each other. Miss Piggy and Gonzo talked to each other. Hey, next time, maybe you should blah, blah, blah. You know, okay, yeah, I'll try this, you know? (laughs) And it was just like, wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So, Anyway, that, that was a lot of fun. Um, uh, but, um, Hollywood (laughs) didn't work out for me because what I realized after a couple of years 
was that if I was going to succeed in Hollywood, that was going to have to be my number one priority in life. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I couldn't do it. You know, when I was in college, I got involved in Campus Crusade for Christ. And uh, that's where my faith really kind of took off. And uh, um, ministry and evangelism became really important to me. Are you saying that there can't be a good Christian actor? <laughs> nope. <laughs> but it wasn't my calling. I see. Um, yeah, yeah. No, in, in fact, um, in fact, I had... I, I haven't been involved in it recently, but I got involved as a prayer partner for the, what's it called? Um, Hollywood Prayer Network, I think, which oh. kind of pairs Christians in Hollywood with other Christians who just pray for pray for them. And so mm. uh, there's this guy who works as an assistant director that uh, I've been marginally in touch with lately. It kind of uh, dissipated, but, um, you know prayed for this guy for a long time. And so anyway, so there are definitely Christians in Hollywood, yeah. um, but it wasn't my calling. It wasn't um, your calling. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when I gave up that dream, which was truly the hardest thing I had ever done in my life up until that point, uh, because this was a dream that had been with me all my life, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I had never envisioned a future that didn't involve me working in Hollywood in some way. So um, this was a big deal. This was a big deal. When yeah. you left. Okay. It wasn't just a fly by night. Okay. I'm yeah. not going to make it here. Okay. No. And it, it was like a six months of, I don't know if this is working. Oh, you know, this isn't going the way I thought it would. Mm. And and I don't like it as much as I thought. I had right. sort of this love-hate relationship with it. You know, it was like exciting and mm. glamorous in some ways. And then gross and disgusting in other ways. It's <laughs> just kind of like, oh, I don't like the personalities. Some of them, you know, one of the things that, that for me was a little bit of a turning point in my move away from Hollywood was just this recognition that stars are treated like deities, you know, and when you're mm-hmm. at the bottom, you're treated like you're at the bottom. I, I, I accidentally, this was before email was uh, <laughs> widely used. I had to deliver a script to the host of this show that, that I was working on. And um, I did, delivered it to the wrong apartment, you know, kind of put it through a mail slot or something. And, and it was the wrong one. And I got wow. back to the office and they're like, you can't make mistakes like this. This is, this guy is a star. And oh. then he go, and then the producer is talking to me. He's like, well, he's not a star, but he is a celebrity. I'm like, Oh, interesting. Oh, so he's not here. He's only here, right? So it's not as bad since he's just a celebrity. It would have been worse had he been a star. <laughs> My mistake, but uh, but I'm I'm way down here. So just sort of this weird hierarchy mm-hmm. and ways of valuing people um, just didn't sit right. Sit with right. Me. Just, yeah. Just didn't sit right since that's not how God views us. Yeah, that's right. That's right. right. And so you went into ministry. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a longer story than that, but yeah. um, skipping ahead here and you mm-hmm. became pastor. Is yep. that right? Yeah, that's that right. First thing. And did you just love everything about it? What happened? <laughs> Good question. Um, uh, again, yes and no. Um, I, I, and I have enjoyed being a pastor. I love ministry. Um, you know, I, I got into, uh, well, my journey to becoming a pastor was one of, of um, it's like an accidental journey almost. Um, I mean, it was definitely the journey that God had for me, right? And it was, it was God kind of navigating things. But, um, uh, but I was, I was pretty reluctant at first, again, partly because um, that was my dad's thing, um, okay. you know, and, 
And I just couldn't see myself as a pastor. I could see myself doing media ministry, right? Or I could see myself, well, maybe being a youth pastor, you know, that, that was, that, I could do that, right? Um, but being the pastor of a church, that was really hard. Um, and by the time I finally gave in, the reason I gave in to that calling, uh, ultimately, like the final turning point, I'd been in the ordination process for a few years, uh, but I was at a, you know, I was just dragging my feet and I was at a Good Friday service with my wife um, and a uh, very contemplative sort of service. And at the end of the service, we prayed a prayer by St. Augustine. And the first line of uh, of that prayer was, late have I loved you. And I was mm-hmm. just like, oh, yeah, I've been very late, Lord, in loving you. And um, so just I'm, I was like, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been dragging my feet. I know this is where you're calling me. And so I said, yes, and I finished that ordination process and it was the right thing to do, right? It was what God uh, called me to do. And then I served uh, as an associate pastor in Union, Kentucky, uh, near Cincinnati uh, for about three years. And that was great. It was good. Um, it wasn't my comfort zone. I mean, it wasn't, I, I didn't, li- I wanted to stay in Southern California, but um, it was where God called me. So, right. So in terms of, did I love everything about being a pastor? That's one of the things I didn't was that I had to go somewhere <laughs> that I didn't really want to go, mm-hmm. but it was the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a few years uh, after being there for a few years, I uh, was called to San Diego uh, to be the pastor of a church here and a senior pastor, well, solo pastor, but the you know lead pastor. And, um, uh, and that was great for most of the time that I was there, I was there for eight and a half years. First seven and a half mm. years were great. Mm-hmm. And then the last year was uh, horrible. <laughs> and so it was, uh, uh, you know, um, there's good and there's bad. There's good and there's bad. I don't know well, if you want me to go into that story. Well, yeah. it's a long story, but yeah. I just think it's, <clears throat> I think it's important to know that uh, as believers, we get attacked and, uh, and how do we recover? Yeah. Some people leave altogether. I mean, uh, we've had a pastor who was asked to leave, mm-hmm. nothing immoral or whatever, but I don't mm-hmm. think he's ever come back to the pastorate. You know, yeah. did we do something wrong in how we handled it? We mean the mm-hmm. whole church. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are you're not only a pastor, I think you have gifts of ministry, like pastoral ministry, mm-hmm. you as a person. And um, how did it change? Just to say it was a really hard time, we can just say that. But how did it change you and make you better at what you're doing now? Because you're sort of a coach, you're a podcaster, Mm -hmm. minister to other churches. And I think churches are full of hurting people because we're people. Yeah, that's right. Um, So one of the things that I learned from that experience, and and just, um, again, without going into any details, it involved false accusations and involved being investigated. And in the end, I got voted out of my church. And um, what that experience did was, uh, you know, it gave me more compassion for people who are suffering. Um, You know, it's not like I'd never suffered in my life, but that was the worst it had ever been. (laughs) Uh, And and it was the kind of thing where I was like, I can't believe this is happening to me. You know, mm-hmm. this is the kind of thing that you read about in magazines or books, and it's mm-hmm. happening to me. Mm-hmm. And um, um, yeah, and so it just uh, it gave me a, a a better understanding of people who are going through deep hurt, right? All kinds, whether it's health related or 
you know, losing a loved one or losing a job or um, whatever it might be, right? Uh, it, it's like they need they need somebody because one of the things I learned was that I needed I needed people during that time. I needed my my wife, my family. I needed friends. One of the great things that happened during that time was you know a friend of mine who just really went to bat for me another pastor in our presbytery mm. uh, just went to bat for me and um, had meetings and sent emails and phone conversations that I couldn't have right but he right. had them on my behalf and so right so that gave me an understanding of the need that we have for each other and for community and for support and encouragement the other thing that it did was it um it kind of clarified for me what does and doesn't really matter. Um, uh-huh. That's pretty yeah. important. Yeah. Can you, can you clarify that? For sure. Um, I wanted to be a really impressive pastor. I wanted people, you know, I wanted to have a church that even if it was, maybe not, whether or not it was a mega church, if it was growing, that that would impress people, right? right. Um, and it was not a big church. We had, you know, 120 people when I started. And we had like 80 when I left, <laughs> right? So it was this downward trajectory, which is, I mean, it's just kind of what has been happening in churches in general, right? For many, many churches uh, have been declining, especially um, more like traditional kind of mainline churches. And so uh, I don't think it's because uh, of anything that I did wrong. It's just that was what was happening, but it 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 affected my sense of self-worth. Right. Um, Right. I, I always was wrestling with what am I doing wrong? How come I, you know, do I, what do I need to do differently? Um, uh, what's wrong with me? Right. That I'm not the pastor of a large or growing church. You know, what's wrong with me that I'm the pastor of this small church? Um, and and there was this uh, constant need to try to prove my worth. Hmm. Right. To prove myself. Um, and um when did it and, hit you that you were really serving the wrong or searching for the wrong thing to have self-worth? Yeah. Uh, well, it, it happened during that last year at my church when I was being falsely accused of some stuff. And um, and so I, I had this moment um, where I was sitting on the patio of my house and I, I was spending a lot of time. I was on, on sabbatical actually when this started. And so I had a lot of time for reading and prayer and silence and solitude. So I was sitting on the back of my, uh, in the back of my house and, um, had been reading some Psalms of lament. I, I understood lament Psalms <laughs> in a whole new way. A lot better, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Oh, that's why they're saying destroy my enemies. I, Cause I kind of yeah. feel like that right now. I get aren't, it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Aren't those called the imprecatory Psalms that we, some... <laughs> prayers or something we pray against our enemies where you think, Oh, if you love one another, you're not supposed to do that, but it's in scripture. Yeah, it's in scripture. And, uh, and I think it's, and it's not that God wants to destroy our enemies necessarily, but sometimes that's how we feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's okay to express those feelings, you know, and, yeah. and give them to God and then yeah. let God be God. Right. Right. So, but, but anyway, I, I'd spent some time in, you know, in quietness and, and reading some of these Psalms. And then I just, uh, my mind started going into these worst case scenarios of what would happen, you know, if, you know, things, things went really badly. Um, I thought I could lose my job and, um, and I did in the end, right. I could lose my ordination uh, Mm. in our denomination. I could lose my reputation. Right. Mm. And that was really kind of, that stung to think that I could, I could be remembered as guilty of something that I wasn't guilty of. Right. right. Mm. Uh, I could, um, 
uh, I could lose my family if it looks like I'm guilty of this. I could, I could have gone to prison if these accusations had been true. Um, they weren't uh, clearly, that's why I'm not mm. in prison, <laughs> but, uh, cause uh, anyway, they were investigated, but I, but I, but I had this moment where I thought to myself, I just envisioned myself sitting in a prison cell, having lost everything and, um, and just kind of feeling the, the darkness of my gosh, you know, these people who are accusing me, they could take everything away from me, everything. And, uh, and then I, like sitting in that darkness, it's it's like I, I heard God, you know, obviously not audibly, but I just sort of, it felt like God was saying to me, yes, they might, Marcus, they might take everything from you, but the one thing they can never take from you is my love. Hmm. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, nobody can ever take that away from me. And that was the moment when, you know, I mean, I had believed in God's unconditional love all my life, really. I mean, hmm. um, and I taught it, right? And I and I, I totally believed it in my head, <laughs> but I hadn't really mm-hmm. felt it until that moment. And I'm grateful I didn't actually have to lose everything in order to experience God's love. But it became more real to me in that moment than it had ever been before. Mm-hmm. And it's like it was at that point, in a sense, that everything got put in perspective. Uh, yeah, uh, I might never be a big church pastor. Who cares? who cares? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm never going to lose God's love for me. Right. right. And I was reading some great books at that time too, which by the grace of God um, had already been, I mean, I'd already put these on my reading list for the summer <laughs> um, uh, before any of this even started, but books like Life of the Beloved by Henry Nouwen, yeah, uh, Surrender to Love by David Benner. Um, um, oh, uh, Abba's Child by Brennan Manning. Right. So very kind of contemplative sort of reading. And those were exactly what my soul needed at that time Mm -hmm. uh, to be reminded that I am God's beloved. And that's the only thing that matters about me. Uh, Everything else is secondary, right? And so so I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to uh, impress people, right? Um, The only thing that matters is that I'm God's beloved. And one of the things that I loved... um, from Henry Nouwen's book, Life of the Beloved. And I, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says something like this. He says, once you discover yourself to be God's beloved, um, it's like, all, all you want is for everyone else to know that they're God's beloved too. Mm-hmm. I was like, yep. And so so that's kind of how I see ministry now. Uh, I'm not called to uh, you know, make my church get bigger. The, ch- the, the church I'm serving right now is in a tiny little rural town, 2,000 people, 800 households. There's already five churches in that tiny little oh town. My. My, <laughs> yeah, my church isn't going to grow. You know, on a good Sunday, we have 40 people, 45 maybe. You know, on an average Sunday, it's 30, 25. On a bad, bad Sunday, I, um, it's, you know, 10 or 15 people. And that's totally fine. Um, I'm not, my, my job is not to try to get this church to grow, my church, my, my job is to help the people in this church to know that they are God's beloved and through them uh, to let this community know, the people in that community know to, that, that they also are God's beloved. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that's it, right? So well, I, uh, read, I read a little bit about you, Marcus, mm-hmm. and it says here that your passion is to help churches and individuals discover 
who they really are. Is this what you mean that they are God's beloved? Yeah. Yeah. That sounded like kind of like a big job. Like, how do you know? I mean, if I didn't know like you already, but I might think, well, what, what is with him that he thinks he knows who I am? Uh, say more. Wait, explain. So, say more about someone that. who didn't know you, someone who didn't know uh-huh. you would say, "Well, he must think he's pretty swell-headed if he can think that he can help me know who I am uh. because he doesn't know me." So, how do you feel? I mean, I don't feel that way about you. Uh-huh. Sure, but sure, sure. How do you? What makes you think you can help someone know who oh. they really are and align align themselves with God's passion to save the world? Yeah. Well. Um, I mean, I know you're God's beloved because everybody is, okay. <laughs> right? I don't have right. to, it's, that's not a judgment call. That's just a, fact. a reality. It's a yeah. fact. It's like, uh, right. you know, I know you're a human being because you're a human being. I just, you know, it doesn't make me smart to know that, okay. <laughs> right? So, so there's that. But, um, uh, you know, the other thing is, I mean, God, when we are surrendered to God, and, and I have learned to be more so over the course of my life. And that experience at my, at my last church, you know, was an, an exercise in learning to surrender because I had no control over uh, what was happening and, right. or, or what the outcome would be. Um, I think that as you surrender yourself and you um, let God shape you into the person that you were created to be, um, Right, you you are better able to serve in the ways that God has called you to serve, and so you know, for me, uh, you know, I've never I've never even thought about does this make me arrogant to think that I could help people know that they're God's beloved? I don't think so. No, but see, but, but see I didn't know that was what you meant. Oh, I, I thought it was just like, how are you going to tell me who I am if you don't know me? Someone could read that sentence, yeah. but I totally get it when you yeah. say that your mission or passion is to allow, is to let someone know of the truth that they are yeah. God's beloved. Yeah. I, I feel I'm the same way. I do a lot of hospitality and I do a lot of mentoring. And the main mm. thing is that they know they are loved by God. In yeah. fact, when I taught at a women's retreat years ago and I was studying Ephesians 3 and Paul was saying that, you know, he was praying for the, for the understanding of, of God's love, its breadth, it's depth, it's height, and it's whatever. I miss out on one of those. Oh, yeah, right. Things. Yeah, I know what you mean. Anyway, <laughs> um, and I thought, this is Paul, like the mm-hmm. best prayer in uh, in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And he's praying, and he's praying for a greater understanding of it. So yeah. I told the women, I said, if he's praying for it, I'm going to yeah. pray for it. And I'm going to yeah. pray that my kids understand it because yeah. this was a huge, huge prayer. That yeah. Paul was saying, and yeah. he really knew God. I mean, met him on the road to Damascus. I mean, right. he he, right. he suffered physically for him, and this is what he is praying for. Well, yeah. you better believe it. I'm going to pray that for my kids yeah. and for myself. Yeah. So I think what you're doing is fabulous. Oh, thank you. Well, and and I, you know, um, it's so easy to forget that that's the most important thing, right? Mm-hmm. Because I mean, the messages we get from the world constantly are prove yourself, right? Prove to us how valuable you are. Prove that you deserve our acceptance. Prove um, to us that, uh, you know, that we should pay your salary, pastor, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. or, or anyone right. in any position, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to show us. The other, one of the other books that I, I loved, and I, uh, I read this during that 
the last year uh, at my last church as well is um, Henry Nouwen's Return of the Prodigal Son, uh, which is, gosh, such a great book. I read it when I was in seminary, when I was in my 20s. And at the time I thought, oh, nice book, you know, but then I read it again in the middle of everything I was going through. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I get this now. I understand, right? Because what he says is, um, he talks a lot about the voice of the distant country, right? The voice that called the younger son away to the distant mm. country, but which was also the same voice that kept the older son out in the field and mm. kept him from coming in, right? And and it's that voice of the distant country that says, prove yourself, oh. right? Yeah. So the younger son took all of his money and all of his friends said, you are valuable to us as long as you prove your financial, you know, well-being to right. us and, uh, and can pay for all of our partying or whatever, right? And as soon as that was gone, well, you're not worth anything to us anymore, right? That's the voice of the distant country. For the older son, the voice of the distant country says, you got to prove to your father that, uh, that you're valuable to him. You got to work, right? You got to do the work. You got to be good. You got to be mm -hmm. spiritual. And if you're not spiritual enough, if you're not working hard enough out in the field in ministry or whatever, uh, then, um, then you're not valuable to your mm -hmm. father, right? Oh. That is also the voice of the distant country. And um, there's not that much difference between those who are far away from home and those who are close to home, but are facing the wrong direction, right? right. Um, and um, anyway, that, that book just gave me so much clarity on, on again, what really matters. I don't, I don't need to prove myself to God. I don't even need to prove myself to people. I don't need to prove myself to God. God says you are valuable and worthy. And, um, and, and, and it's not that God doesn't want to transform us, you know, more and more. I think that, of course. again, as we surrender, we become more fully who we are created to be. I, I like to think of discipleship as becoming more fully ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. I am becoming more fully Marcus Watson just by surrendering to God and believing that I am of utmost worth to God, whether I succeed in the typical sense or not. Right. Mm -hmm. um, if everything falls apart, I'm still a hundred percent. I mean, I'm still uh, infinitely valuable to God um, and, and in no way loved less, doesn't look down on me. Doesn't say, come on, Marcus, get your act together. Never Shape says up. that to me. Right. Yeah, God doesn't right. say that. Mm. He said, Anyway. I think I think in this uh, world of social media, uh, I call it the comparison pit. Mm. I mean, I can just scroll two sec, well, maybe maybe five seconds on Instagram, and suddenly feel badly about myself. Yeah, because I, <laughs> I don't, I didn't think of that first. I know, and then I think, well, I'm pretty creative. God's made me a uh -huh. pretty creative person, and I'm. I know I have certain gifts by yeah. Him, not me, yeah. from yeah. Him. And I thought, I hope I'm not causing other people to feel that way. Not that I'm so great, but right. there's always someone, you know, that's what's so bad about comparison is that there's, you can always find someone who's better than you are or who's worse off. So you're either yeah. proud or you're critiquing. Right. Right. So it's like, just get your eyes off those other people. Would you consider yeah. this is one of your biggest legacies um, that you are passing down right now uh, as far as, um, the life of the beloved, living that out, living loved. Amy mm -hmm. Walker calls it living loved. And I just love that expression. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, if I, if I had to say the legacy I want to leave is I just want people to know that they're God's beloved. Um, people in my church, 
people who listen to my podcast, you know, um, my kids and my wife, um, you know, when (laughs) like any, any child or spouse relationship, there are times of tension and times when you're like, Oh man, I'm so mad, you know, but then I'm like, okay, but Lord, I just want, I just want Robin to know that she's your beloved. I'm my beloved too, but your beloved, right? I want my kids to know that they're your beloved. And how can I live that out, um, as a husband, as a, as a dad, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. I just want people to know that they're God's beloved. And so when you're in conflict with someone that you love or even mm-hmm. a stranger, how do you go about, uh, I mean, it's kind of a vague question, mm-hmm. but can you give an example of where you thought, okay, this overarching mission is mm-hmm. to let people know they are God's beloved. Yeah. How do you do it working it out in a practical way when you're mad at them? Yeah, right. Well, it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't do it perfectly. That's for sure. Um, because, you know, I mean, uh, we're all still human. We have our emotions and we have our triggers from our, you know, earlier years, things that still get us all worked up and stuff. Yeah. And I still have that, but I think, um, part of it is just, uh, you know, one of the things I love, uh, another, another great book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, is mm, Pete Scazzaro, yeah, talks about, and he's citing someone else, I don't remember who, but talks about indifference as a spiritual quality. Uh, indifferent, yeah, that's right, indifference. Not that you don't care, but it's that you leave, you leave things up to God, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I'm in conflict with someone or someone is pushing back on something, you know, um, I, I need to intentionally remind myself um, I'm leaving, I'm leaving the results up to God, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever happens here is up to God. And, and, um, and try to stay indifferent in that sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, again, not that I don't care or, or care about people, but, um, but just stay indifferent to, to how God, God leads things. And, and I, I will say that, so I'm, a, I'm an Enneagram 9. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Enneagram, but I'm, I'm a, a seven. Seven. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> the enthusiast. Uh, uh, but I'm a peacemaker. And so I will say that my tendency is to, to run away from conflict uh-huh. and to withdraw. And so in my case, this is one of the things I learned in my marriage too, is uh, I have to stay engaged, right? Um, if, I, if I get angry or frustrated and I go to the other room, right, that's not going to help anything. So for me, part of my surrendering to God is to stay engaged in the conversation, stay engaged in the conflict, holding it lightly, holding the outcome lightly. And, and again, just thinking about, you know, my family, my, my wife or my kids, I have to let them be who they are. Right. So much conflict comes from us trying to control right, that's who the other person is. Be, yeah. yeah. And trying to get them to do what I want them to do or to be what I want them to be. Or to see the way that they are acting is wrong. Yeah. Right. So that's control as a mother that we just sort of born that way. Say, Hey, you really need to shape up because we do need to parent. Sure. But we really aren't in control for very many years I at all. Know. I know. Gosh, <laughs> it goes too fast. Hey, <laughs> but yeah. Marcus, you reminded uh-huh. me of an inter- interim pastor we had who was oh. terrific. And he uh-huh. said one morning in church, and I don't even know what the sermon was on mm. or the scripture passage, but I'll never forget this line. He says, believers or Christians um, should never be defensive. And I... Turned to my husband, I said, never, never be defensive. In other words, I was being defensive. <laughs> yeah, right, right, and, right. and I just thought that 
that would be like an angel. It'd be someone mm. who who is so, and this is the same thing as being indifferent. You're not indifferent yeah. in a non-caring way. Yeah. You're indifferent to the pain that they may be inflicting, whether or not they're saying something yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. And to say, okay, let's leave the results with God yeah. instead of shooting back, which I'm pretty verbal and I can, uh, I can, you know, out talk just about anyone, <laughs> but it's not necessarily um, a Christ-like way to yeah, act. That's you know? right. Yeah. So just to hold on to your horses yeah. and say, hey, I wonder what the Lord really wants out yeah. of this conflict because right. it's not like God loves conflict. I'm in the process of trying to memorize. Uh, let's see, whatever it is where it says, if there be any um, united, you know, if you're united with Christ, what's that? Any encouragement in being united oh, with yeah. Christ? And I thought, oh, this whole mm. year has been one big divisive mm. thing in the church yeah. because of yeah. politics and the virus yeah. and everything else. Yeah. So, well, we need to wrap this up. Okay. But uh, is there anything else that you want to leave as far as wisdom and legacy for my audience? I'm sure you've been a great encouragement already. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know... Uh, I mean, I guess I would say it all comes down to, again, just recognizing that no matter what happens, we are God's beloved. And, and I was thinking one last thought on, on conflict that um, if we can put ourselves into the position of an observer, almost, almost like take ourselves out and say, what's going on here? You know, uh, where are they coming from? Where am I coming from? What am I, why am I feeling these things? And uh, I wonder how God sees this, right? I think that, that lead, that lends to our being able to love even our enemies, right? Um, or our adversaries or our opponents in a particular conversation, you know, and to, to say, oh, I, I understand. All right, I see, I see where they're coming from. And so, yeah, I can love them. Or I can see the things that have led them to see the world this way. Oh, okay, I can love them. I think the reason God loves Everyone is because God understands everyone. And mm -hmm. so if we can at least recognize that there are things we don't understand, because we don't understand everyone, right? Yeah. The way God does. But if we can recognize that there, there are things I don't understand about the, you know, the people I'm interacting with, then I can love them mm -hmm. and, uh, and really believe that they are God's beloved. Anyway, just a, Well, I think that's thought. part of living by faith, to live, yeah. to love by faith. Yeah is to believe the best. That's 1 Corinthians 13. Yeah. Uh, I recall a time early in our marriage where um, I sat down, I had my husband sit down next to me. Mm -hmm. I go, now, I know you didn't mean to hurt me. Mm -hmm. And he goes, that's right. Because he wasn't that in touch with <laughs> what, you know, yeah. it seems like he was always hurting me and he had no clue oh. why. I mean, uh. it's not, it wasn't bad, but it was just yeah. like, you are clueless and it's not like you're yeah. mean, you just don't get it. And so he goes, that's right. I, yeah. What did I do? And, um, and so for him, for me to believe the best mm. in someone, it mm. makes helps make them be yeah. the best, you know. Yeah. And for you to say, we don't know the whole story, it's like that axiom that we're say, um, be kind because you never know uh, what load someone is carrying that day. Yeah. You do, I want to add one more thing here in uh -huh. your um, description. You talk about story a lot. Is that what you meant that we don't understand someone's story? Yeah, for sure, right? Okay. Yeah, everybody's got a story, right? And uh, And I think we... We forget that we just see people where they are right now, and uh, we try uh, to fix them. We try to fix them, mm -hmm. or we assume things about them based on our own story <laughs> that may or may not be true. So true. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. Well, thank you. This has been a great kind of a heavy conversation. (laughs) I think if people want to hear more about you, they can go to your website. Is it Uh MarcusWatson.com? Is that correct? Yep, that's right. And you can also hear the whole story of of what happened with you and to you. And also, Mm -hmm. would you tell tell us a little bit about your podcast that you're doing for Fuller Seminar? Yeah, yeah. So my podcast is called Spiritual Life and Leadership. And uh, I've been doing it for about three years, um, maybe three and a half years by the time uh, your listeners hear this. But um, working with, and then working with Fuller um, for about the last six months or so. And um, the purpose of the Mm. podcast is to help spiritual leaders grow in their own union with Jesus so that they can be healthy leaders. So inner life and outer life, healthy inner life of union with Jesus so that they can lead in a healthy way in their outer life. That's kind of what my podcast is about because that was my journey. (laughs) I had to develop a healthy inner life in order to lead in a healthy way in my outer life. Yeah. So true. Um, Yeah. So spiritual life and leadership, you can go to MarcusWatson.com. That's Marcus with a K. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah. Anyway. Great. All right. Thank you so much. God bless. Thanks. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.